Um, it is so great to be here as always. Uh, as you can tell, I survived my Adriatic cruise. Um, yeah, uh, you guys are not my Facebook friends or else you could see all the photos. Um, I went on a, a, a cruise a couple weeks ago, as you know, and it was crazy adventurous. Like, everyone's like, did you gain a bunch of weight? I lost weight on the cruise. The first day we did mountain biking and I thought it was near death experience. It was really aggressive mountain biking in Mount Etna uh, on a volcano in Sicily. And just to give you an idea, a tad bit competitive. So as we were going, I'm not waving at you. I'm just saying I can't see this crane here. We usually turn one on. Oh, yeah, we'll turn, we'll flip it off when we get there. You're exactly right. It's my first time here. You know what? You just make it slush the room, and we'll turn it back up when we do. So, um, so, so we were doing the mountain. But I know I'm just breaking the ice because it was such a fun story. Um, while people settle in, I went down the mountain bike course and it was black lava rock and it's uh, it's an active volcano uh, in Sicily, Mount Etna. And I mean, it's not pouring lava, but it blows up all the time. And, and but all these trees and stuff, so it was very foresty. And we went down these trails and there were a bunch of guys with us, of course, and they were just cooking down the trail. And it was, you know, lava rock. I mean, it's like sandpaper, right? It's just so rough and they're just huge rocks and you're just oh, going down these hills. And we got to, they paused for a minute, and uh, one of the gals, or guys leaned over to me and said, you know, you'll get used to it. You know, you just kind of do this, and you kind of do that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so then I had to beat him down the rest of the mountain. <laughs> so, and I had ridden, I've ridden motorcycles for years. I've ridden dirt bikes for a long time. So I'm like, I, I, I think I'm keeping up just fine. So I just took off down the mountainside. So when we got to the bottom, he just leaned over and said, good job. <laughs> I guess I guess you do know what you're doing, but I thought I was gonna die more than once. But my pride made sure that I beat the the boys down the mountain. So so yeah, right? Yeah. So we mountain biked another time as well in Croatia. I did a long kayak paddle around Dubrovnik. It was like a ten mile, a ten k, so a six mile um, paddle kayaking. Uh, we did a bunch of swimming. So there was no tourism. Everyone said, did you go to the something museum? No. Did you do this? No. <laughs> what did you do? Mountain bike, hike, swim, kayak. So next time on the next cruise, I'm going to the one where you just get the chocolate bar and you just hang out. It was, I was so tired. I was exhausted uh, when we got back. So it was really fun. So really fun. But I didn't get to see any of the sites that we're going to talk about in the acts, but we're pretty close. So I was in Greece for part of it, and then I was in uh, Croatia, and uh, if you man, if you get a chance, I highlight Malta. We were in this, uh, this country of Malta, really amazing, and it was a heat wave, so it was hot. So, yeah. so anyway, so there you go. Whether you wanted to or not, you just heard Lori's vacation, and so that's so it's fun, super fun. I would recommend all of it. Um, maybe not the mountain biking, <laughs> but the knee replacement held up well. So, yeah, so good job. All right, Acts, Acts, Book of Acts. So let's, we got some new peeps. Welcome new people. Um, if we don't drive you away, hope to see you again soon. But what, since it's study group, we're a little more informal, and then hopefully we're gonna read through some of the material. We have uh, one or two videos to show today. It's, it's, if you haven't had a chance on your, you know, on your computer or whatever. So we'll do that, a little bit of that. Um, and so you're ready for Sunday, 
Sunday's discussion, you know, every couple weeks, right? So we can go through some, we'll go through some of the study guide, we'll go through some of that so that you can be ready to discuss, right? But this is the part where we get to go through it together, whether you've had a chance or not, we'll go through it together, right? So not quite the same format as Sunday, but close, meaning I get to wear pants on this day. It's really the difference. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Okay. So I am going to do a little bit of context because I can't help myself. So uh, the book of Acts, as you know, is written by Luke. Very good. Who said that? that was like a lot of you. Okay. A in Gospel Doctrine. Luke. And Luke, in the first book, uh, Luke's first book is Luke, right? The Gospel of Luke. And it says it's the Acts of Jesus. And then this one is the Acts of, it says the Apostles, but it's really the Acts of Jesus and the Spirit. Right? It's the next, so it's really the same book. So we've arbitrarily cut it in half, but it's really the same book. And so it helps if you think of the book a little bit together. Now, of most of these stories, this is the only place we have some of this information on how it worked as they established the church in the first century. So the book of Acts comes in about four sections, and we're right crossing over two and three today, how it kind of breaks in the story. So, because it's so much material. So you're gonna see the, the first section you've already read through about uh, chapter five. Uh, four or five is probably the first section. And it's gonna go through that where you see there, Jesus has come and Jesus is teaching them and he's gonna stay for another period of time before he ascends into heaven, in about 40 days. And he teaches them more things and, they, and they're super excited and they're like, we're gonna go out and he says he gives them the roadmap for how they're going to go out to the world. So they're based in what city? Do you remember? Jerusalem. They're based in Jerusalem. And then he says, wait for the spirit that I'm going to send. But once you get that, you'll go out into, and he gives the roadmap, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And that's, that's what we're going to see in Acts, is that roadmap. And so he says, okay, so you're going to go do that. But wait till the spirit comes. And then we, that was last lesson, right? Pentecost and the, the spirit coming on them. And then when that happens, we take the story of really a couple of the apostles in Acts. So the first half is mostly the story of, they both start with P, the letter P. The first half is a story about one of the apostles and his name starts with P. Peter. Yeah. And the second half is Paul. Yeah. So the first half is Peter. The second half is Paul. And it ends on a really weird note. So as you read through, I want you to watch these stories progress. As again, as the gospel is going out and the administration and the, uh, the church is being built, because you'll see a remarkable similarity to now, right? And to this dispensation. But it ends on a really strange note. It's kind of vague. It just kind of ends the book. And you're like, well, what happens? Well, that's your story. Once you, Luke is inviting you into the story of the gospel. Welcome to Christianity. Now it's your story. So you have the book of the Savior, book of Peter, Paul, and you. Okay. So when you're reading through it, um, see if you can pick up some of that. That it's how is this gospel going to spread, and then where do you fit in? Right. Where are you as a follower of the Savior? in your life and how the gospel comes to you because that's what these stories are so then it takes quite a few stories of the people and how it spreads and what happens 
Okay, does that help? Mm -hmm. yes. okay. So, um, so I spent a lot of my time looking. Uh, I've never told you how I study. Have I told you how I study this stuff? No. Do you want to know? Yes. So you can do it. No. It doesn't make sense. I uh, I like to study the whole picture, so I like to always take a step back, take a step back, take a step back. So look at it in the perspective of its book, right? And the story, the book, the New Testament, history of time, the whole book. Because the authors are geniuses in the way they put these together. And so when we read the scriptures, sometimes it helps to look at the big picture first. Growing up, I think we're super, super good at looking at the application, right? So we're like, Stephen did this, here's a verse, how do I apply that verse? But I, I love to see the big picture. And so when I was studying Acts the last um, few weeks specifically, I spent my time on the book of Acts and then said, well, let's look at the story of Saul, let's look at the story of Cornelius or whatever and see where does that fit in. So, so I find it helpful to look, take a step back, take a step back, say it's a book, just like you read any other book. Where's the beginning, middle, and end? What's the theme? Why is this story here? Why does this story follow this story? And then see what you see. If you see some themes and you see some things, then jump in. Then jump in. Ask yourself, what was the author trying to tell me in the big picture? And I think that's really helpful. At least it's been helpful for me. So big picture, look at the book. And in this case, it's Luke Acts. Go together. So look at the picture of Luke Acts. Good enough? Has anybody done it that way? Is that just me? <laughs> yeah, we don't really do it that way. You read the reading assignment, right? Yeah. Or less. You're like, well, there's just like four verses. That's all I can get to. Yeah? Okay. So, so anyway, so I like to read a lot of information and then see where it takes me. And sometimes I go down a rabbit hole that we don't get out of. So sorry about that. Okay. So let's, um, so that is your context of what's going on in Acts. Uh, for today. So we are going to look at really two people today within the story. We're going to look at the story of Stephen. And there, there are a couple. There's a Stephen, there's a Simon. We probably won't get much to Simon. And then we'll look at the story of Saul. Right? We'll start looking. So to, today is, is really those two stories. We're still with uh, Peter. And so, so we're still in the city of Jerusalem. Still in the city of Jerusalem. Now remember, when Christ's followers came, were they mostly from Jerusalem or were they mostly from somewhere else? Do you guys remember? They are mostly from the Galilee. They were mostly from the north. They were from the Utah County of Israel. <laughs> and now they're in downtown Salt Lake, right? Really, it's just like that, actually. So most of his followers came from where he was from, which was the Galilee, right? It was from Utah County. And yet, now they're all in Jerusalem. Now they're all in Jerusalem. So, interesting difference there. So they have stayed there. So they have congregated there, and they are awaiting the Spirit, and then they are going to remember go out from there. All right, so let's look at chapter 6 a little bit. Um, any other thoughts? Any other observations? Yeah. Of course, of course you do. Yeah. Help, okay. help me understand what this, this particular application of the word Eve, H-E-A-V means? H-E-A-V-E. -E. Like to heave? Yeah. A heave? What is the heave? Uh, Portion? 
of sacrifice? Are you looking Sac at sacrifice? Are you looking at sacrifice? I mean, yeah. It doesn't really give you an explanation of why it's using that term because he means to throw up. Yeah. <laughs> Could it be that? Maybe not. Out? No. 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 It's a good question. It's a good question. But then you're trying to stump me because that's a hard one. But I'll tell you what it is. So do you know what verse you're talking to so we can bring everybody else in? Is it Stephen? I tried to find it in what I've been reading, but I finally have to go back. Okay. I think it's an Exodus. It is. It's the sacrifices. And you'll find it in Leviticus will be the other place. You'll do a lot of it. So here's what his question is, and let me see if we can come back to that. So, the in the apostles and the Acts, they're going to talk about sacrifices at the temple. And so, remember when you went to the temple, it's a it's the biggest, flattest open area there. Everything's really hilly, and so it's this big, flat open area. They've built this big platform on it, and that's and then on top of it is the temples on one end, and then Antonia Fortress and all that's on the other, and then it's just you know the walls, and it kind of goes in and in. And when you would come to the temple. What would they go there to do? What happened? If you showed up at the temple, what would you see? What kinds of things? Sacrifices. Exactly right. So one of the things should be sacrifices. There was music going on. There were rooms off to the side where there was teaching, right? There was some merchandising and some selling. You couldn't, you had to bring the right coinage and things so there would be some, remember, the money changers. And that's under this portico or shady. And then, so there's this teaching, there's music, there's uh, sacrifices going on. Uh, there's just, there's a lot of things going on when you went there. So when you go there, it would have been loud. It would have been, uh, you could hear the music and the people and the men singing and, and animals and money changing. And, uh, you know, they're having heated arguments and gospel lessons and everything in between happened on the Temple Mount. Uh, I can't think of another example currently that would be like that but it would be very dynamic. But they would go up to do the sacrifices, and what were they doing sacrifices for? What did the sacrifice represent? What, why, why would they do it at all? Do you guys know? Repentance. Yeah, one of the reasons is repentance. There were a number of things you would do. So in ancient days, to repent, you would take an animal, so it could be a dove, goat, lamb, different animals, um, and you uh, could even be uh, uh, first fruits of your crops, different things, some grains, and you would bring it, and then differing things would happen to the animal. So if it was the animal, one of the things they do is, depending on what kind, so you might just do, I need to atone for something. It might be to thank God for something. It might be to repent for something. It might be, there are three or four major things that you would offer sacrifice for. We think of repentance. But some of it's just to go to give thanks. Some of it's to celebrate. In each of those, you would bring a different kind of offering, and it was offered a different way. And so when they offered um, certain offerings, they would chop up the animal, and then they would some of it would come back to you for you to eat, and some of it would be burned on the altar. And then that smoke, and that's what that was your sacrifice. And it said, God loved the sweet odor, right? So it was like he appreciates the sacrifice you're making, but he's not eating it. So some of it would come back. In other cases, the whole animal would be burned. In some cases, some of the animal would be given to the priests, and that's what they ate for their support, depending on the time. One of the portions is called the heave portion. And if I remember right, it's like the shoulder, like it's the section. So yeah, so what they're probably, and I don't remember, I'm sorry, I don't remember which 
portion means which thing, but depending on what you're reading, it's probably going to be like what part of it's going to be an analogy to what are you bringing to the sacrifice if you want something from God. If you're coming to give thanks, are you just giving 5% of your tithing, right? Are you giving just a little thing or are you giving the best portion? Or if you're coming for repentance, do you bring the, the lamb and its perfect portion or are you just doing whatever? So it's probably an analogy. I don't know which verse you're talking to, but if it's if you're doing like the heave portion, it's probably like it, it would be like, hey, everyone in my class, when you come, are you coming with a contrite heart? Are you coming with broken spirit? Are you really coming to learn? Are you coming repenting? Or are you kind of not, right? It's kind of halfway. So, um, so when we look at the verse, but my guess is it's the heave portion is a portion of the sacrifice, and it's probably saying something about analogy. I, I don't know what, which reference you... That's like a super stumper quiz. You're amazing. No. So, so that's what the heave portion, but I can't remember what it means, and I can't remember all those things. So, so I'm sorry. They don't. They change over time. So they don't know. But thank you for that completely obscure question. Um, but again, that actually goes. That's a good example, though. If we don't know our Old Testament, then our New Testament were lost because they refer to these stories all the time. So, okay. Anything else? Let's watch. Uh, let's watch the first video, the one that was the LDS.org. Is that the Stephen one? Not the not the President Hoopdorf one. Let's let's watch that one. So let me set the stage for this video really quickly. Okay, we're just gonna watch it. No, we're just gonna watch it. You can figure it out. Oh, okay. So. So really quickly, just because we're just going to jump right into the story here, but Stephen is, is um, one of the apostles, and he is preaching, and they're having a lot of animosity with whom? Who's kind of saying, well, these new, these new Jesus followers, tough. Who's, who's having a hard time with them? Is it the Romans? No, the Pharisees. Yeah, the existing church guys, right? That's like their power structure. Not just the general people, but kind of the leadership. So... They are starting to feel threatened, like they were threatened with Jesus. So they're saying, oh, we thought we got Jesus. Now we got Stephen and Peter and these other guys, James, all these guys show up. So they are having head-to-head -head battles, threatened politically, threatened socially, threatened financially by these guys. And so we're going to meet Stephen for the first time here in the story. Spoiler alert, it's sad. Okay, so let's watch that. So that's where we meet Stephen. words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs Moses delivered us. Are these things so?
men. Brethren and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and come into the land which I shall shew thee. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Quran. And from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land, wherein he now dwell. And he gave him none inheritance in it. No, not so much as to set his foot on. Yet he promised that he would give it to him for possession, and to his seed after him, when as yet he had no child. And God spake on this wise, that his seed should sojourn in a strange land, and that they should bring them into bondage for four hundred years. But when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, in which time Moses was born. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full forty years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. This is that Moses, which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren. Like unto me, him shall he hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai, and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us, to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt, saying unto Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. For as for this Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And they made a calf in those days, and offered sacrifice of the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them, and shewed before the coming of the just of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels, and have not kept Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God,
much chapter seven that we went through. It went through a lot. Why is the story in there? To me, that's a direct connection to Joseph Smith. Uh-huh. And people say, God doesn't appear to people. Uh-huh. And God and, and his son, well, yes, he did. It's, it's, um, it's pretty similar. Yeah. And I think it's, it'll happen again and again. Yeah, so very similar. So a good testimony of Joseph Smith, good. Other reasons why this story why Luke puts this story in there? How, how, yeah. I think it's a lesson in contrast. The Lord needed a Stephen yeah. who was full of the Spirit to speak, but he also needed a Saul. Yeah. The contrast between them is like Abinadi and the sons of Mosiah and Elam. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's really true. Interesting, isn't it? How parallel it is. Brothers and sisters, Think about your conversion. It might have been, you might see kind of an event, right? It might have been a more event, or it might have been something that happened over and over again throughout your life. Right? For me, it's something that actually kind of keeps happening. It's, it's not like, bing, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a believer. Um, I'm a disciple. It's, it's kind of like, well, I, I think I'm good here, and then I kind of, you know, I have issues, and then, then I kind of, oh, I'm really excited again, and right? Am I the only one that kind of has that? So this story is a story of becoming believers, of becoming disciples, right? Of now accepting Christ and becoming Christian and then saying, but it's going to be challenging. Has your path of following the gospel been without challenge? So, so you've had challenges in your life? So could this, could this be applicable to you? Maybe not the stoning, right? I mean, we're still living. But have we, do we find challenges in becoming believers? Do we have challenges specifically becoming members of the Church of Jesus Christ? Yeah, right? It, have you had challenges in your own family? With your own thoughts? With friends? With coworkers? in our society yeah yeah this is our story it's our story so Stephen I think is a good example of what we can do to buoy up our testimonies right he we don't know how he gets his testimony very much we don't know much about that but when he is on trial what was that long section that he did what what what, what was he telling tell me again his testimony, good, good. And in that testimony, he's telling, he's quoting a bunch of stories. Did you guys catch what they were? Yeah. What were they? Story of Moses. Story of Moses. Story of Abraham. Abraham. Yeah, let's go over here. I want to add something before we leave, leave Stephen. Uh, Saul of Tarsus was not, uh, he held the coat of the people stoning and Stephen, and later on he repents of this thing because this Saul of Tarsus was supposed to be uh, commanded to go and gather up uh, Christians and 
take them back to be tried. Yeah. And uh, he was struck down and he was converted forcibly. But, uh, and he changed his name from Saul to Paul. And Paul became one of the outstanding uh, prophets of the New Testament. Yeah, he writes the whole last half of the New Testament. Very good. But do you notice there's a there's a similarity between the story of Stephen and the story of Saul? There's the story of Saul right there. Do you see anything? Anything about him? Stephen's story is about someone that is righteous, but he has a lot of challenges by others, right? He's challenged, in fact, until he's killed. Saul has different challenges, doesn't he? Is it even true? How to repent? Again, Saul's our story too. As we join on the path of following the Savior, we're going to have challenges. And it might, it might be once, it might be multiple times, it's probably going to be a lot, right? It doesn't matter from where, it's, it's going to happen. And I think they're saying, and we know for them there was a lot of persecution. So I think Luke is saying you're not alone. You're not alone. It happens, it happens to everyone. It's part of the path. When we join the path, it's not going to be easy. In fact, it might be really hard. Yeah, President. Um, President Nelson has spoken out just recently on his trips to both the, uh, South America and to the Pacific, and he told them it's going to be very, very difficult. It's not going to be. It's not going to be a cakewalk anymore. Yeah. Wow. So how do we get ready? I think there is a recipe for things that can help us. So let's go back to Stephen. When Stephen is confronted by the elders, we heard he tells, he goes back and he quotes the scriptures. He tells the story of Abraham. And then he tells the story of Moses. And, and it's, it's long, right? It's, it is a beautiful synopsis. But you kind of go, yeah, yeah, what, what? I mean, if you're me, you kind of check out, right? right? You're like, oh yeah, I like the Old Testament, I should pay attention. But he's reminding them of what happened in the past. He's reminding them of what their testimonies were based on as Jews. When we're struggling, what do you go back to? Yeah. Joseph. When you're struggling, what what can you go back to? Let's let's end. Well, then, uh, Stephen and uh, they're, they're in the moment. Yeah. You know, Stephen's part of this Jewish yeah. empire that had been built up. Yeah. <laughs> There's just no this, respect. This Jewish empire, this Jewish uh -huh. power, kingdom. Yeah. I mean, to speak of complete control, and Jesus comes along, and and he's. He's trying to convince them that he's the one that they have been teaching and preaching about all these times. Yeah. And Stephen comes along and and he's he knows this. Yeah. And Saul is kind of looking on the outside. He has to teach. I'm not sure if he knows it, but he all of a sudden he's remembering. He's 
reminded of what it is. So it's, it's a little bit different than our situation yeah. where where we're not oppressed in, in right. the gospel of Jesus Christ today. Right. But that doesn't diminish the fact that, that things are going to be extremely difficult from us to for us from the outside. That's right. That's right. The uh, persecution from the outside, right. people in our own neighborhoods and, and sometimes in our own families. And even culturally, right? Things change culturally. Don't have a family. Don't go on missions. Don't believe in God. That's crazy, right? Have you seen that change just even the last 10 years? That seems like a lot stronger. I have a lot of fewer friends that are disciples than were 10 years ago, right? Yeah. I just have a question about that passage in there. He made it clear, I thought it was interesting, and he, even though it was a synopsis, he yeah. wanted to make sure that they knew mm -hmm. that Moses was 40, yeah. and then he was 40 again, uh -huh. and then that it was 40, 40 years. And that I thought that was interesting that, that he would make sure they knew that there were three 40s. Yeah. So what, what significance, and why would he give that to the Jews? Yeah, good. That We actually find that in Exodus at well, that, that Moses lived three periods of 40, and there are probably two layers. One layer is maybe he was 40 and then 80 and 120, or it might be they're using some literary symbolism, and you've probably heard the term 40 a lot, so let's see if we can find out what else does 40 maybe mean. So can you guys think of, so we're gonna take a little aside and we'll come back, it's, it's not as weird as heave. This is much more relevant, okay, <laughs> you're welcome, but 40. So it's a Hebraic number 40. Can you think of any other examples in the scriptures of the number 40 being used besides how old was Moses? Uh, Christ fasted for 40 days. Christ, very good example. Christ fasted for 40 days and 40 nights before. 40 years in the, did the, is the wilderness. Do 40 the years? Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Good. How long did it rain for Noah? Was that 40 days? Then another, okay, now you just came up with another one. Rained for 40 days and 40 nights on the ark. Um, it was, uh, Moses was 40 in the first part of his life, in his middle part of his life, and then the end of his life is in three, three groups of 40. Uh, Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Any other examples? There are like 40 examples of this. <laughs> yeah. All through the Old Testament, this king reigned for 40 years, and then his son reigned for 40 years, mm -hmm. and it just kept yeah. going on. That's right. Um, the number 40 is often symbolic of a time of trial or preparation. The number 40 is often symbolic. It can be 40 years, it's, but if they're using it, you're pretty much calling out that 40 is a time of trial or preparation. The Israelites wandered for 40 years in preparation to gain the promised land. Christ fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in preparation for his ministry. Moses had three sections of 40. The first part where he was the prince of Egypt, and then when he was a Midianite shepherd, and then when he came back and was the redeemer. Um, and the number three is usually symbolic of God. So they, instead of saying 120, they did three, three, three. So it was by God that he had three different sections of his life. But he's retelling the story in a way they would have remembered, right? Right, so it's like, yeah, do you remember the way we told it? But 40 is like often that, and you'll see it often. In fact, you guys know how long it took to build the Salt Lake Temple? 40 years. That's weird. 
Do you know how long it took them to build the Mansai temple, the one that built before it? Year and a half. So it doesn't take 40 years to build the temple, unless it takes 40 years to build the temple. It is. That is correct. It's going to be. Uh, I've been single and I'm over 40. Time to dress. For someone else. For your preparation. This is essentially a story of structure. A story of structure. And the structure that he was fighting was not an important structure. And the fact that they would stone him because he was not being part of the structure that yeah. they had established. Yeah, he threatened. A lot of evil happens in the world because people do not want to believe and have structure. Yeah, they want good, good, really good insight. So Stephen, one of the reasons they're, when they first bring him in, they, they say he is a blasphemer, he's blaspheming. What does that mean? Kind of? Any, any, what's the, what does blasphemy mean? He's calling them on the law. Yeah. He's calling them on Yeah. Yeah, well, he is that, yeah. I mean, I thought it was a fascinating story that he told. Yeah. But he also said, there's Abraham, there's Moses. Hey, there are only forerunners to this person you killed a little while ago. That's right. And they're like, what? Yeah. And that's what sets them off. But when they first bring him in, they said, you're blaspheming. And then he sees, what does he see? God and Jesus. God and Jesus. That's right. And that, has any other prophet, we mentioned Joseph Smith. Can you think of any other prophet that has a vision of God? Isaiah. All of them would be the answer. You're right. Isaiah 6. Yeah. Isaiah 6, right? He sees God, and they go in, and the seraphim, and he puts the thing on his mouth, right? And Lehi sees the pillar of fire on the rock, and it's like, me first, Levi too, right? And then, and then sees God, Joseph Smith sees that, Ezekiel sees God on his throne, Daniel chapter 7 sees the Son of Man raised up, he's almost quoting, Stephen is almost quoting Daniel 7 verbatim, right? And so they say, what, right? You cannot use God's name like that. You can't. This can't be true. That is just. Oh, that is really a heavy sin, and that's worthy of death. It's an excuse. Yeah, it's an excuse. It's an excuse. And in fact, him seeing God and and Jesus is is proof that he is a prophet, right? That that is the proof. And instead of them saying, "Whoa," they do exactly. He says, "You cast out those prophets." you know, your ancestors, and you're going to do the same thing to me, and then they do that, right? Tricky. Val? I think it's a matter of uh, a difference because they are they are talking uh, about different things and being, being challenged, and some accept the challenge and go forward, mm -hmm. others fight the change. Ah, interesting. So let's, really good insight, Val. So if we're ever challenged in our testimonies or in our beliefs, right, we, we're not all going to be scriptorians, or sometimes it's personal attacks or it's something else, right? It's something you can't defend. What do we go back to, or what, what can we hold on to? Yeah? Well, I've been sitting here pondering and everything about Satan, 
church what can we turn to what does what any clues what can you do to say hey I when I'm struggling or I have doubts or I worry or I've, I'm being picked on or anything what can you turn to prayer prayer right what else and testimony. your testimony go back that comes on strong when you be, so bear your testimony comes on strong to family. It does, right? Yeah. It does. You can feel that when someone's like, hey, maybe we hold on to the part of the testimony we know. <laughs> I don't know everything, but I know this, right? Stay with, start with what you know. I know this. Well, what about this? I don't know about that, but I know this. What your patriarchal blessing. Your patriarchal blessing. So turn to your patriarchal blessing when you have concerns and doubts. That's a, I haven't thought of that one. That's a, that's a strong one, isn't it? I mean, that is written right to us. Does everyone have their patriarchal blessing? And then you notice how I pronounced it right? It's not patriarchal? You can call it that. I'll make fun of you. Patriarchal. So patriarchal blessing, what else? Prayer? Um, testimony? Patriarchal blessing? Temple or standing in holy places. Being in holy places, being in the temple, yeah, that's powerful, isn't it? Scriptures. Yeah, the scriptures. One of the ones that I find that I think Stephen is bringing to their remembrance is the scriptures. He repeats the scriptures, and he's trying to bear testimony of how they bore testimony of Christ. And if we turn to the scriptures, they speak of Christ, right? They rejoice in Christ, that they always go back to the Savior. And so if we go back to that... Um, there's great power there too. John, you have a thought? Well, the one thing I thought it was very interesting on how uh, uh, Stephen at that time really boiled down the history of the house of Israel yeah. down to just a couple of uh, pages here in the New yeah. Testament. Yeah. But also I thought it was very interesting is that he was showing how Christ was a uh, how Christ as a Messiah was the fulfillment of their scriptures and fulfillment basically of their history, and when you know you know when they stoned Stephen, they were basically rejecting uh, Stephen not only as but basically he was a member he was a seventy uh, in the early church, and they were basically rejecting his testimony. And when they rejected his testimony, they were in effect rejecting Christ, uh, putting Christ to open shame, crucifying him afresh. 
as, as well as rejecting their own history and saying that we have rejected our Messiah. They, they were saying we have rejected our Messiah as we are now rejecting you. Yeah. Did you did you catch Stephen's phrase when he was, they threw him in the pit in the picture, in the movie, but they threw him in there. Did you remember what he said? It was very similar to the Savior's quote. What was it? Forgive them. Like what? Lay this not upon them. Right? Do you remember Jesus was on a trial? Right? He was on trial, and they accused him of blasphemy. Right? The Romans accused him for uh, killed him for sedition, but he was guilty of blasphemy by those same people. And then they show Stephen, same trial. Jesus is being crucified. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Stephen, lay this not at their feet. Did you catch that? Go back and read it again and see if you don't see any other similarities to Christ with Stephen. Because Luke puts a bunch of them in there. He's saying it's just like Jesus. Okay, good. Any other thoughts on that? Either things we can turn to, thoughts you had on Stephen, thoughts on our own challenges? I'm just wondering about Stephen. Is Did they consider him as a as another prophet or um, a leader of the disciples? Well, he was, but they didn't, right? In fact, if you took the other side of the story, they felt like he was... You remember in the Old Testament stories that the people had a really hard time being faithful, right? They turned to other gods, they forgot their worship, they had all these problems. So when they go off to Babylon and then they come back, they're like super strict on that stuff. But before then, like if you do the Old Testament, like they can't follow for 10 minutes, right? Moses goes up to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments and what do they do? Build a calf. You're like, well, we were just here, right? When we go up to when... Um, when Christ is there, they just—they're the opposite at that point. They want to be super strict. They think some of them, like Paul, Saul, thinks he's doing God's will. Some of them are not, right? Some of them are just power hungry. But some of them are like these guys are coming and they are corrupting the true gospel of our God. Others are not. But Saul was. Saul was like, I am passionately trying to get us away from that Old Testament days. And when he hears God and, and hear Jesus and, he, and Christ talks to him, he realizes he was fighting on the wrong side. And he turns like that. But he was well-intentioned. So did they think he was being a prophet? No. They thought he was corrupting. They thought he was a problem. They thought he was a blasphemer. What about his disciples? The disciples thought he was awesome. That's why he's in the box. They're like, hey, this is one of the, the 70. This is one of the leaders. And he was killed for proclaiming Jesus. But the Jews had a problem with him. But the Christians, he was one of their early leaders. Okay? Of the group. Does that answer the question? Yeah. No? Yeah. But he wasn't considered he wasn't considered the leader. Well, no. Or Peter Peter's temporarily. Peter's the leader. Peter's the main leader. But remember, you have multiple prophets, right, that prophesy. So he sees, like we do, the 12 who all have prophetic abilities, right, today. And you have one president. Just like there, they've got many that have the gifts of the Spirit, but one Peter. And in fact, the bishop of Jerusalem is James. So there's the bishop of Jerusalem, there's Peter, and Stephen's in the leadership. So you would probably call him just one of the general authorities. 
one of the toilets, something like that. Yeah, they're still getting organized. <laughs> so some of it. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of what do we turn to when the hard times come? <clears throat> my thought turned to the parable of the ten virgins and the the ones that had oil in their lamps came from a long time of service or experience with the gospel, the good deeds, and that sort of thing. And I think the long those experiences in our life, the more we have to draw from when times are hard. Yeah, I like that. I think if we go back, we, we build those experiences, we put the oils in our lamp, and then we go back to them and we relight it, right? I remember when I had that experience um, with my friends. I remember when I read uh, the Book of Mormon for the first time. I remember when I felt the spirit in Gospel Doctrine last week, right? I remember that, and I can hold on to those things. Yes, sir? Um, this, this story of, of Stephen, can you hear me? Yeah, okay. you gotta hold it pretty close to your mouth. Oh, I don't want to kiss it. Yes, kiss yeah, it. Yeah, you almost have to kiss it. Yeah, it's pretty close. <laughs> anyway, uh, the story, you don't need to help me here. Um, now, Stephen had a vision where he saw God with Jesus on his God's right hand. That's right. right. The Son of Man where, where on the right hand Where's the Holy Ghost? Was the Holy Ghost... Um, they don't... That's a good question. Where's the Holy Ghost? They don't... He doesn't specifically say I well, like, feel the Holy Ghost. I think the scriptures say he was filled with the Holy Ghost. It is. And if you watch the video, they made him, I don't know if you noticed, well, they made him kind of glow. This this is one scripture talking about this incident that yeah. helped us a lot in teaching the gospel in France and Belgium. Yeah. Was well, that in, in the mic? In, yeah. Oh, here Perfect. we go. In talking to the people in France and Belgium that we talked to in their own Catholic Bible, that scripture is there. We would, we would present to them that scripture about how the Godhead had three distinct uh, individuals mm -hmm. with, you know, yeah. Jesus on the right hand of God, and he was filled he with the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. And they were surprised. It, it surprised me that in their own Bible, mm -hmm. they didn't see that. But it helped a lot of them realize a different picture of the Godhead. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, strong, it's a strong example. Um, because they're all three there, right? They're all three there, like the baptism of Jesus, right? And there, good example. And you're right, I hadn't pulled that out, verse 55 of chapter 7. And being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus Christ standing on the right hand of God. And then he says, I see it, and I see the Son of Man. That reference to the Son of Man, that is Daniel 7. So check out Daniel 7. So that's the first time we see that exact reference. So that's why they go, ah, are you saying what I think you're saying? Right? Yeah, that's what he was saying. Any other thoughts on Stephen or on testimony? Brothers and sisters, I think these stories are here for us today because they are our stories. The church is going forth back out into the world. It's going to have persecutions and trials. We're going to, sometimes we're Saul. Sometimes we're Stephen. Sometimes we're one of the new converts. Sometimes we're one of the missionaries, right? Depending, our roles change. So I think if we look at this, we say, hey, this is our story, and this is our playbook. We can come back to these, these books and say, this is what they face too, and we are like them. Sometimes in our own homes, sometimes in our own rooms, sometimes as missionaries and other things in our families. 
So I'm very grateful for these strong disciples and to have these stories. Otherwise, we would not know what it had been like for them after Christ's ascension. So it is, it is a testimony to me that the Lord loves us and he wants to give us the tools we need to be full of the Holy Ghost and be strong in our testimonies and I pray for the scriptures. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Any more questions, comments, anything strike you that there's no no weird question. Obviously we jump right in here. Yes, sir. Uh, you were saying earlier that the Salt Temple took 40 years to build. Well, Jingle and Kimball had a different answer to that. Yeah. He, he was asked by Heber J. Grant, who you know was his relative, yeah. and he was a general authority to take a touring car, a large touring bus around yeah. the city. They had a bunch of dignitaries come to Salt Lake from Boston and New York and Texas and that. So as he drove up South Temple to the uh, governor's mansion on 6th East and South Temple, uh, he pointed out this was the governor's mansion. Well, one man from Boston says, well, how long did it take to build? And Jay Golden Kimmel says, I think it took three to four years. And the man says, well, in Boston, we'd have that built within a year or two. So they drove around to several other sites and other people commented how much it would be much easier to build in their cities. They got down to the city county building and uh, this one man from Texas has said, how long did that building take? Well, Jay Golden says, well, that's a very large building and that took almost five years to build the city county building. Of course, the Texans said it was gonna be one or two years there. So they got going up Main Street by the Salt Lake Temple and another man asked, he says, well, what about that building there? And Jay Golden says, what building? And he says, the one on your left. And he stops the car, looks to his left, and there's the Salt Lake Temple. And Jay Golden says, I don't know, it wasn't there yesterday. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, man after my own heart, that Jay Golden. They have the same skills in swearing. Uh, any other questions, comments, great thoughts? So this week, as you continue to study through, make your notes. Make your thoughts. We've really delved into Stephen, and we won't get to Saul and Paul much, but for Sundays, the next couple Sundays, you'll spend a lot of time with Paul and with this new church. So spend some time, record your thoughts, ask your questions, and uh, let's keep the discussion going next time. Anything else? Okay. Good job.